You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. Good morning, church. Good morning, friends. So glad to see your faces here this morning. Thanks for braving the snow. You all are awesome. You get a gold star for making it this morning. No snow is going to hold you back. I'm glad you're here. Um, really excited to share a message on my heart this morning entitled the, the essential truth before i do i have some exciting announcements for you too really uh, exciting announcements that we are celebrating as a church one is something we we announced back in the fall october november time frame but our associate pastor tony from iowa city and his family they are finally coming next sunday will be their first sunday with us super cool yeah Following the, following the morning service, there'll be a really laid back reception in the lobby uh, with some light refreshments and opportunity for you, to, you all to meet them and connect with them, at least shake their hands and give them a hug and welcome them to Ames. Uh, so that's next Sunday. Pastor Tony's going to oversee discipleship and leadership development. So we're really excited to have a pastor in that position, really seeking to empower more people to be kingdom influencers, to move more and more people from attenders or you know passive seat fillers to engaged in the mission of, of the kingdom and so that's really the the heart behind his in his in the entirety of his role we're really excited to actually have a pastor in that seat uh, running after that with us so next week's gonna be fun having them with us um, you can pray with them this afternoon as they're making their way across the state the second announcement is this uh, Last Easter, 2017, a Hispanic congregation, Palabra Viva, Iowa, they, they planted a congregation here in Ames, and they've been gathering across the parking lot at the same time as us over in the Chi Alpha House. It's a house that's right across the parking lot that we have for our college students. They've just been packing it out over there. Uh, congregation really trying to reach Spanish speakers in our community. And uh, praise God, they've, they've outgrown that facility over there. And starting this afternoon at 2 o'clock, Palabra Viva will be We'll be hosting their, their service right here in the sanctuary at uh, 2 o'clock, and it's super exciting. So spread the word as you uh, meet Spanish speakers. Uh, just learn that one sentence of how to, inv- how to invite them to pal- uh, Palabra Viva, 2 o'clock, right here at Life Point Church. It's super exciting. I mean, even at my daughter's preschool, I met a family that's from Puerto Rico, and, and, and they go to an English-speaking church because there's really no vibrant, Bible-believing Hispanic church in our city. Uh, and they were, they were super stoked about the opportunity to, to bring their kids into an environment around Spanish speakers that are going after Jesus. So spread the word. It's going to be awesome. And Pastor Jose is the real deal. This is, a, this is an Assembly of God uh, congregation right here in Ames. Super exciting. The essential truth. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 10. As we're discovering the power of prayer. This journey of discovering the power of prayer, it starts right here with the essential truth. We're discovering 12 truths that can awaken the church to to pray, but they all really start right here. They all flow out of this one essential truth. So we got to get this. Okay, church? This is where it all starts. It's the essential truth, and it's not just essential for, for myself because I'm a pastor, It's not just essential for newer believers or seasoned believers or older or younger. It's for everybody. This is the essential paramount truth over your entire life. Test it. By the end of my message, test it. Put it to the test. I mean this. 
And here's the essential truth for every single person, that you were created for relationship with God. That is your destiny. That is the purpose you were created for. God brought you to this planet, the eternal destiny to know him, for relationship, to walk with God. That is not news you will hear in any other religion on the planet. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's from that one essential truth that you were created for relationship with God that flows truly powerful prayer. I've yet to actually meet a person who's told me that they do not pray at all. Every person I, I talked to, even just a couple weeks ago, I talked to somebody who said they've, they've ran away from God. This was somebody that was coming to our church looking for some, for some assistance, financial assistance, and they said they ran away from God, but, but yet every single day they pray. Like we come into this planet with this, this desire to connect with this God, this unknown God, this creator God. And we cry out to him in different forms. But it's not until you encounter the person of Jesus Christ that truly powerful prayer comes awake in our hearts. And you realize this is what you were created for. So I want to speak a message this morning that I believe will bring a lot of simplicity to your life, a lot of clarity to your life. In the busyness of your life, as I'm talking about prayer, trust me, I, I, I get it. You may be saying, Drew, I'm already busy. Prayer just becomes another thing in the list of, of things that we're supposed to do. We live in a very complex world, a complicated world. All sorts of things vying for your attention. So when we start talking about the power of prayer, you kind of put it on a long list of obligations that you already have to do in your life. But I want to set prayer aside as something completely other than everything else in your life. And when you frame it in this one essential truth, it all begins to make sense. And everything else actually comes into alignment, into clarity. You can start making sense of the rest of your life when you get this one essential truth that you were created for relationship with God. And this is a powerful story, a picture of the decision that we get every single day. Luke chapter 10 the story of two sisters, Martha and Mary. So let's read it, starting in verse 38. It says, Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered, answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. It is the essential truth. There's one thing that's necessary. In all the details of life and all the details of hosting the Messiah in your home, there's one thing that's necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Jesus becomes this mediator between two, uh, two sisters who are fighting who have a disagreement. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. This is the hope of Jesus Christ that he speaks over Martha. I believe with great compassion in his heart. He says, oh dear Martha, some translations say, oh dear Martha, you're troubled and anxious about all these details. Only one thing is necessary. I love the New Living Translation how it's put, it says, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. 
Mary has discovered it, and it will, be, it will not be taken away from her. I believe in order for Mary to, dis, to uh, choose it, as the English Standard Version says, she first has to discover it. She's discovered it, that he is the good portion. That's all that matters, is I have the Messiah, the Creator God, sitting in my living room. I'm going to get at his feet. I'm going to soak in every word that I can. Everything else just kind of um, falls to the wayside in comparison to the, the significance of this moment of me sitting at his feet. She, she discovered that, and then she chose it. And I believe in our, in our lives and our comings and our goings, we come to that crossroads on, on a daily basis of whether or not we're going to choose the good portion, whether we will be a Martha or a Mary, whether we're going to always be overwhelmed and pressed from every side, giving in to the distractions of this world, or whether we're going to choose the good portion. There's a powerful quote from St. Augustine. It's translated as this. Some scholars have said that this, this quote is, is the most significant um, sentence outside of the Bible. He says, you have prompted him. This is talking about God prompting humanity. You've prompted him that he should delight to praise you. For you have made us for yourself, and restless is our heart until it comes to rest in you. That's St. Augustine in his book, Confessions, the very, the very outset of his book, in the very first paragraph. Our hearts are not at rest till we find our rest in God. Our hearts are longing for something constantly. And our world is flooded with all sorts of messages coming at us, telling us where we can find our peace. And our hearts long and they grope for something until we find the person of Jesus Christ, creator God. We find that's what, that's what we've been created for. That is our destiny. For this earth and beyond, for eternity, it's to know creator God. And I truly believe, because I'm so passionate about this, this is, this is, this is why I started the book out in this way, this is why this is the essential truth, because this one truth has the, the power to change the world. I truly believe it. I believe one person who intimately knows God can do more for the kingdom of God than scores, hundreds of people that know him in theory only. I quoted that oftentimes to our Chi Alpha students when I led the students on, on our college campus. I had one desire for just one more student to encounter God for themselves in such a real way that they walked in intimacy with him, that they walked in relationship with him. One person who truly walks with God, that knows his voice, that's obedient to the leading of God, can do more than scores of people that, that have um, settled for some mental ascent, some doctrinal creedal belief only, that stays up here and doesn't translate to our daily lives. It has the power to change your life, to simplify our lives, to bring clarity to our lives. We live in a day and age not, not too different from Martha. We have things pressing in on us at all times. Actually, as I was writing this, this message, I had several notifications go off on my phone and on my computer. And so I wanted to just show you my calendar because I know my calendar is much like all of yours. Just quickly put that up, put, put that up there. Don't put it up for too long because I don't want everyone to see all the details of my calendar. But you can see it. This is the way our calendars look. They're chock full. 
And as I was writing this message and all these notifications came, I was like, how ironic is it that I'm sharing this message about clarity and simplicity and, and this one essential truth that covers the entirety of our lives. And then that, that's, that's, how I, that's how I organize my life and it just seems so cluttered. Our lives constantly have these things screaming for our attention, saying, I'm important, I'm important, I'm important. Look at me, look at me, look at me. All these messages and, and people and, and uh, voices telling you what's important. But when we discover this one essential truth, it all comes into this crystal clear focus. Therefore, prayer is not another thing that we do. When we understand it as relationship, as walking with God, prayer then can, can be set aside not as an obligation or as a duty or as a wishful experiment. I, th I think of the youngest amongst us, they, they pray, my kids pray. But at the youngest of ages, I, I think we pray in almost like a, just a, it's kind of a wishful experiment. Pray for things that you want or that you need. I believe God is honored by those, by those just very raw, immature type of prayers. But there's something so much more beyond the wishful experiment of prayer, beyond the before you eat type of prayer. And it's discovered in the person of Jesus Christ, sitting at his feet, when you realize, oh, this is what I was created for. When the real you comes alive because of this person that you've encountered of Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you this question this morning. What do you believe you were created for? If you were to be honest with yourself, I'm not looking for a Sunday school answer, but answer for yourself in your own, in your own head right now. What do you truly believe that you were created for? Your answer to that question determines a lot. I truly believe, just like Martha and Mary in that moment, that our understanding of our purpose on this planet determines our priorities. That's why a person who knows God intimately can change the world because their value grid is completely different than all those around them. They have the value grid of heaven, of this eternal creator God. This is, this is hugely important. This is the essential truth. If you know what you were destined for, what you were created for, what your primary purpose upon your life is, it brings such clarity to the priorities of your life, the values of your life. You were created for a relationship with God. You weren't created just for the new car. You weren't created just for another mortgage, to build another house, to take up a plot of real estate. You weren't created just to, to hold down a job, for a vocation, for a location. You were made for so much more. You were created for relationship with eternal God, with creator God, who put breath in your lungs. So here's the paradox that I thought about this week. The world wants to convince you that everything is essential. But here's the truth. This is the aha moment. I am lifting the veil. The truth is almost everything is not essential. Think about your life. It could all be whisked away. And in, in reality, as you stand before a holy God, you stand, if you stand before the God that created it all, almost everything is non-essential. 
We live in the survival mode like Martha, where everything is pressing for our attention and pressing for our affection and pressing for our time and energy and resources. And it's all saying, I'm essential. I'm essential. If you don't take care of me, your, your life is going to fall apart. But I'm lifting the veil. The truth is, almost everything is non-essential. Does that not just speak so much peace over your life? That brings peace to my life. I'm with you all in the trenches of real life. I experience stress. I, I experience seasons of anxiety. I feel see waves of being overwhelmed at times. But it's this one essential truth. When you ground yourself in this, it brings so much peace and joy and clarity and simplicity to your life. Are you tracking with me? This is good news. Don't believe this lie that the world speaks over us. One of my favorite authors is a man by the name of Dr. Henry Cloud, and he's a Christian psychologist and researcher and best-selling author. And he recently, just in the last couple of years, wrote a book called The Power of the Other. And it's about this essential truth, essentially, how, how, you, um, how you're created to connect with God and connect in relationship with others. It's the essential uh, idea in the, in the, the book. But he, throughout this book, he uses this illustration, which I think really gives us a vivid picture of this. He uses this illustration of a cell phone. Now, this cell phone is designed and created to connect with one network. And that, that, that phone is, is always trying to connect with the network. That's the way it's programmed. And the, the airwaves are filled with other networks, but that cell phone cannot really come alive to what it was designed for until it connects with its home network. If it's AT&T or whatever, or Verizon or Sprint, it's created to connect with one network. And when it finally does, it finally comes alive to what it was destined for, created for, designed for. Outside of that, if it's not actually connected to the network it was created for, it's really just a fancy storage device. It can't do much. It can't do what it was meant to uh, or designed to function as. And that's the same for you and I. We're designed to connect with one network. And it's not until we encounter that for ourselves that prayer becomes something other than just another task or duty in our lives. It becomes our, this conduit of life and fulfillment of true intimacy with God, your creator. That's what you're created for. So let's just take a little closer look at this story of Mary and Martha. Jesus finds himself in the middle of a conflict, a little family feud here. We got Martha who's honestly doing what Middle Easterners do at the, uh, at the turn of the century here, the first century. Middle Eastern Jew, they would, they would want to host, especially such an honored guest as Jesus Christ, this man who's growing in fame. They would want to, to honor him and, and do their best to host him well. So Martha's doing what she's supposed to do. She's running around preparing these dishes, getting pretty stressed out and, and realizing the magnitude of what she's trying to pull off. But Martha is human, like you and I, and she starts to resent her sister Mary, who Mary, who's actually, for a first century Jew, she's really taking the, the more honored position of, of a man and sitting at the feet of Jesus. Women really weren't seen to, to be worthy of that. So here Mary is 
it seems almost presumptuous. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's actually um, stepping out of her normal duties and just sitting at the, the feet of Jesus. She realizes the, the significance of the moment. She senses the presence of greatness in the room. And she's drawn to that one significant thing, to sit at the feet of Jesus, to take it in, to take in every word that she can, to not miss a moment. So I hope you can feel the tension, you can feel the conflict. At moments, I've resented someone for seeming like they're missing out on their duties. You get frustrated, right? You get, you have this inner turmoil. And finally, she, she blurts out. And she actually, I, I describe this as a prayer because oftentimes I've prayed like this. Martha prays a prayer. In verse 40, she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. This is a lesser form of prayer, but it is a prayer. It's, Lord, do something about this. Chastise that person. Discipline that person. Make this right. Do something about this, God. I'm not saying you should be inauthentic in your prayers. But I don't don't always think that um, voicing our, our complaints like this is very helpful for our faith. Or very helpful to at least ground us in truth. That's Martha's response. It's a a prayer of resentment. That's what comes out of her. And then it's Jesus' response, which I don't believe in. As I read a number of commentaries, the consensus is that Jesus was not rebuking Martha, that he actually wasn't saying what Martha was doing was wrong. He repeats her name. He says, Martha, Martha. Some translations say, dear Martha. It's this heart of love for Martha, hoping that she'll get it. The heart of compassion says, dear Martha, you're troubled, you're anxious, you're distracted by all these details. And Jesus sides with Mary. He doesn't say, what you're doing is wrong. It's just Mary has chosen something better. You're you're doing what people do. That's what Middle Easterners do. That's what, that's what people do in our day and age. But Mary has discovered something greater, something better, and she's chosen it, and it's not going to be taken away from her. So Mary's example then gets propped up for you and I as the decision that we face on a daily basis. Are you going to choose the, the, the good portion? Are you going to choose the better portion? Or thoughtlessly, Are we just going to continue to wander around aimlessly, distracted by all these details, by everyone else telling you what's important in your life, what the priorities should be? Mary discovered it, and she chose it. And Jesus said she's receiving her reward. She's going to be filled up. There's been a prayer that we even repeated this morning with our volunteers as we gathered in the sanctuary before the service. And it was, Lord, give us the hungry ones. It's the simple prayer of our city. The the reality is not everyone is ready to receive Jesus Christ. I believe deep, deep, deep in everyone's heart, people are longing for an encounter with Creator God. But not everyone's to that place where the the soil of their heart is tender and, and open to the things of God. But we know across our city there are hundreds if not thousands that are hungry, that are searching, that are eager. 
And we're just saying, God, bring them in. Give us the hungry ones. Give us the hungry ones. The hungry ones are the ones like Mary that are, are willing to be different, to stop and consider that there could be something greater than the status quo around us. Your phone being flooded with notifications, media and social media telling you what should be important in your life. When there's something greater, there's something better, there's a good portion for you. I would say one of the most peace-giving, hope-filled passages in Scripture for myself in my own um, wrestling through these issues of, of anxiety and distractedness and stress is John chapter 15, where Jesus describes himself as the vine, you and I as the branches. The Father is the vine dresser. He says, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You won't just survive, you're actually going to bear much fruit. That's why I'm saying you'll change the world. If you encounter God for yourself in true intimacy, you can change the world. And he sets it up in stark contrast to, to, the, to the other way, of, of the way of Martha. Because he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. There's so much peace, there's so much simplicity, so much clarity to our lives when we learn to abide in that place of rest. Just as St. Augustine told us, that our hearts are never at rest until we find our rest in Jesus. If you're struggling to, if you're struggling to wrap your mind around relationship with Creator God, the Creator that, that spoke the cosmos into being, the Creator God that's at the, the vastest uh, reaches of the universe right now that is still expanding, He's there. He knows what's happening. He sees from beginning to end. If you have a hard time wrapping your mind around relationship with that God, begin to use some of these pictures that we see in Scripture to catalyze real, tangible relationship with Creator God. Picture yourself as Mary, saying no to distractions, and instead sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's you, knelt down there, King Jesus, who brought himself to earth in human flesh, Picture, picture yourself in Genesis chapter 3 where it says God was looking for Adam and Eve and he was walking through the garden in the cool of the morning. Picture yourself walking through the garden with creator God. He's a God that has the ability to make himself accessible to our very finite minds. The infinite God, that's the grace of God. I pray that you'd use the good portion in Middle Eastern culture, it would be typical that as a host, especially for such an honored guest, that you would prepare a multiple course meal, some refreshments and appetizers, and then a main course and some sides, and then the dessert and refreshments and all that. It would kind of go on. It'd be kind of a processional of, of uh, preparations that would go into it. So there are, there are a number of scholars that actually propose that what Jesus is saying when he says that Mary has chosen the good portion is that Mary's chosen the good dish. She's chosen the best dish. That Martha, you're busying yourself, distracting yourself with preparing all this multitude of dishes. When Mary over here, she's actually discovered and chosen the best dish of them all to sit at your feet. There's always another dish you can prepare. There's always a whole other level of complexity you can add to your life. Or you can say, out with it all. 
I'm choosing simplicity and clarity. I'm choosing the peace of Jesus over my life. I'm going to sit at the feet of Jesus. I want that for your life. I think of it even in my own kids' lives when, when it comes to food and they're with their immature palates. If we say, hey, let's go home. We're going to have a steak dinner with baked potatoes. That's my choice any day of the week. Or we say, we can go to McDonald's. I, I, I can guarantee I'll bet money on it. They would choose McDonald's. Because their palate hasn't come to this place where they appreciate the, the finest qualities of a home-cooked meal. My wife actually has this, this is a side tangent, my wife actually has this habit of not wanting to, she, she's just not a woman of uh, routine at all. So she never cooks the same meal twice. Kind of drives me crazy because I'm such a guy of routine. I could eat the same five meals every day of my life and I'd be content, you know, if they're the good ones. Let's just do top five. But she is, she is very much more spontaneous and creative. And so she's always pulling out new dishes and my kids just don't appreciate it. You're like, you realize I grew up on a hot dish out of a can like every day of the week. You know, I grew up in a single parent home for the first few years of my life and it was simple. It's like ramen, bologna sandwiches. And my kids, they're eating like the finest cuisine and yet they want to go eat McDonald's. Don't you feel like that's what Jesus was saying to Martha? He wasn't chastising, nor do I chastise my children for wanting McDonald's. But he's saying there's something better. She has chosen, she's discovered and chosen the good portion. She's chosen the, the steak dinner. This is the prime rib. This is the, the New York strip. This is the best of the best. This is God's destiny for your life. Especially in this day and age, which is, is being ravaged by anxiety and depression, mental illness. I, I never want to um, sweep any of that stuff under the rug. I never want to oversimplify it. I never want to give you a pat answer. But, but a lot of times, the most powerful, most moving, most compelling things in our lives are simple. And this one essential truth has the power to revolutionize your life with simplicity and clarity. And that, that comes from my own life uh, having history with anxiety, my own family being torn to shreds by depression and mental illness. My wife's family as well have had battles with anxiety. So I do not minimize any of that for a moment. That's a real battle. And we're going to give a call for a prayer over depression and anxiety this morning. Just speaking and believing for the hope of Jesus Christ in your life. That there is a better way. That you can experience that rest, as St. Augustine said. It's not unique to our generation. Every generation is at, is at this place of unrest until they find their rest in Jesus Christ. So in light of this message, I, I, thought of, I thought of Tanya's grandpa who just passed away on her mom's side. I'm going to have Gabe come forward. There you are. You play that song, Yahweh. Her grandpa just passed away in October. An amazing man of God, 85 years of age. His name was Grandpa Dick. Grandpa Dick was an extremely hardworking man. He had a hard time finally retiring and slowing down and uh, selling off his business. He owned a business of cleaning carpets for 40 plus years. Extremely hardworking man. He was just always ripped and in, in tip top shape. I mean, he was playing softball down in Florida when they, they moved south and get injured sliding to second. I'm like, you're crazy, man. Grandpa Dick, but that was Grandpa Dick. He's amazing. Love Jesus. And he wrote this book and he sent it to me two years ago. 
and now after you know someone passes there's so much perspective that you you get to just kind of revel in a person's life like somebody who's ran their race well grandpa dick he loved the word of god he loved the lost he loved just walking with god and that type of joy and peace was all over this man i I caught this quote towards the end of his book just a short little book called the journey talking about several signposts that God places in our life to get our attention. Grandpa Dick had a powerful testimony, but this is what he said at the end of his book. He said, well, that is my story. I spent years searching for that elusive something you're looking for. If I told you all the ways I tried to fill that something most of us are looking for, we would be here for a long time. But I can assure you that if you open up your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you will find more life, uh, sorry, you will find life more abundantly than you ever thought in your wildest imagination was possible. That's the steak dinner, that is the good portion that Jesus lays out for us in Luke chapter 10. We have a choice. Whether or not we're gonna choose it, it's, it's up to us, it's our choice. So I wanna close this morning. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.